CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Deanna Fisher will be telling us about the St. Louis Center. So, can you tell me a little bit about the St. Louis Center? Sure. The St. Louis Center was founded 62 years ago by the Servants of Charity, which is a group of Catholic priests. Um, It was originally founded as a boarding school for boys with IDD um, back in the days before the school system was required to um, educate them. Then in the 70s, we started becoming apparent that a lot of the children that were boarding there, parents were aging, and they really weren't able to take care of them or take them home like they used to. So we started then to um, transition into residential. And for the next um, 60 years, we were a residential facility licensed by the state of Michigan to provide serve, uh, foster care services, re- foster care residential services to children, as well as um, adult foster care homes for the adults. And so we did that up until about two years ago when we decided to focus on adults alone. And at that point, we um, closed our children's licenses. So now we have nine adult foster care homes on our campus, as well as um, some rentals for the community. So we're an integrated uh, community here. And we have about 56 residents currently, uh, long waiting list for additional residents, difficulties with um, labor shortage, causing us to not be able to take in as many as we'd like. So, so that's us now. We're, we have nine group homes on our campus, bed sizes ranging from uh, a four-bed group homes 
up to 20 bed group homes for senior living. Um, we service ages 18 through, um, well, we have a couple of residents at, that are in hospice that we are taking care of here. Sure. Um, and we definitely provide them with 24-hour nursing care, a social work department, as well as the direct care workers and supervisors that help to take care of them. So what types of disabilities do you most commonly see in this work? Uh, what are some of the most common needs for those in the group home setting? So most of our residents, well, all of our residents are required to have an IQ under 70 to be admitted here. And then in addition to that, we frequently have residents with physical disabilities as well, seizure disorders, diabetes. We have some with um, mobility issues. We have a couple in wheelchairs, walkers, the usual stuff. We have some um, medical problems that have resulted in our residents having ostomy bags and things like that. So we manage the physical disabilities as well as the intellectual disabilities. Some of our residents also have concurrent mental health issues that we're also dealing with. So how do you go about reaching out to the population to let them know that your work exists, the facilities there, and it might be an option for them? While our agency has contracts with the various community mental health agencies in Michigan, in Michigan, uh, the mental health is provided by counties. So uh, we have several counties, I think seven at the current time, that contract us to, buy, to have services. And so therefore, if the um, individual's family is looking for placement, the agencies will offer us as an option to them. And in addition to that, it's really a lot of word of mouth in the IDD community. Um, so it's not unusual for us to get two to three um, inquiries a day requesting information about us. So in your time with the center, has there been any success story that stands out for you where you were able to provide support in a particularly meaningful way? I think our biggest um, change that I've seen in the five years I've been here is our movement towards um, providing independence and independent skill training for our residents um, rather than just focusing on safety. So for example, um, five years ago we only had a couple of residents that worked in competitive wage jobs in the community. Um, and we have now about a dozen that are going out every day to competitive wage jobs at the supermarket, at McDonald's, at the pizza places. Um, five years ago, we did not. So how do you work with employers to uh, arrange placements for these workers? So. How do you work with employers to uh, arrange placements for your residents? Actually, that's been the one thing that has come out of the pandemic is that we have employers now calling us looking for staff. Um, 
it used to be that we had to do a lot of begging and pleading to get them to give our residents a chance. But with the current labor shortage, they're discovering that um, having a dishwasher that requires a little bit of support is better than no dishwasher at all. So we have now been able to expand not only into neighboring Chelsea, but also Grass Lake, which is on the other side of us, um, to be able to provide those sorts of jobs. Now, most of our residents do get community mental health services, and so they have job coaches that go with them until they are used to the job and they don't need them anymore. And some will always need a job coach. And they're working a limited number of hours, so we're not generally a 40-hour week. But um, it seems to be being quite successful at this point. So if you could send any message to the community about the need for programs such as yours and the future of the work, what would you say? I would say that, first of all, give persons with disabilities an opportunity to show you what they can do. Um, open up your doors to maybe just one person with disabilities in, in a competitive wage environment, and then we'll seeing how that works, you might consider taking two or three. When we started working with Polly's, it was... Um, one individual there for three hours a week and now we have I think five different of our five different residents that go in to help with bagging groceries and stocking shelves and it's been a great partnership so give us an opportunity the other thing is that um, accepting that different types of, of living arrangements are okay for different types of individuals and that the person who is has the disability and their guardians and family should be the ones that are able to choose whether they want to live on a beautiful campus like ours or in an apartment or in um, a house in the middle of a subdivision somewhere. There are all types of different options for people and all choices are equally valid. Right. Thank you for taking time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. In this segment of our show, Lindsay Stewart will be telling us about New Leaf. So, can you tell me a little bit about New Leaf? Yeah, so a New Leaf was started in 1979. Um... Our founder, Stan and Irene Bernstein, had a daughter with a developmental disability. And, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, people with dis intellectual disabilities, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity after high school. You know, that service cliff was steep. And Stan and Irene knew that Carrie was much more capable than just sitting at home or, you know, back in that day, it was very common to send someone to an institution. And so that just wasn't in the cards for them. So they were looking around for ideas of things that other people in the country were doing um, to provide workforce development for people with developmental disabilities. And so <clears throat> they found a program in Maryland that was using horticulture therapy 
for um, vocational training for people with developmental disabilities. And Irene, our founder, being the huge gardener that she is, she just loved that idea. And so, you know, in 79, we started with one greenhouse, two clients, and one job coach. And now we have expanded to serve over 500 people through five different programs. So it's been quite the growth over the years. So how do you reach out to the disability population to let them know about your work? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously PR is big for us, and we put a big focus on that. So you know, doing radio interviews, sending information as much as we can to the public. Um, we uh, participate in local school resource fairs. Um, but a lot of times in Oklahoma, a lot of the funding comes through the state and it follows that client. And so a lot of times we'll get referred by a case manager through the actual state of Oklahoma. So that that it's a mixture of us getting the message out there on our end, but also um, the state of Oklahoma is, you know, a partner of ours and we get referrals through that as well. And then the school system is... Um, as well, so we have we have a big PR program though, and and you know I'm constantly trying to get the word out. We um, we have great partnerships with our local news stations, and so we're constantly trying to get information out there. And um, we also have some digital marketing efforts as well. So, when the, com when the community does find out about your work, do they typically respond positively? They they have that, uh, wow, I never knew this was a thing moment. Yeah, so we have a lot of people that, you know, so our uh, one of our opportunities for people for workforce development is um, working in our greenhouses and our retail garden centers. So we have two retail garden centers, and we also have um, seasonal pop-ups that we do around green country. And so that is a lot of times our introduction to people that don't know about us is they know that we sell plants and then once we get to talking to them more they realize that it's so much more than our workforce development program we have a residential program where we're in um, people's homes you know sometimes 24 hours whatever they need to live independently we have a behavior support program we have um, a program in the local public school systems in six different districts um, teaching pre-vocational skills for students with autism. And we also have just started the first in Oklahoma, the Transition Academy, which is a two-year college-style program teaching workforce skills and daily living skills so that once they graduate after two years, they have a good-paying job and an opportunity to live independently. So we have this introduction piece of, you know, the plant sales, and then people come and talk to us and realize we do so much more than that. So... In your time with the New Leaf, has there been any success story that stands out for you? Um, yeah, so we have this year expanded for the first time in 43 years um, with our residential program. So we serve people throughout the community residentially in their own home. What we were seeing was that someone with a developmental disability or a disability in general, the lack of affordable housing is intense. And so, you know, they might be able to live on their own, but it might not be in a safe area because they can't afford a safe area. 
So a new leaf started the plan, oh, I mean, six years ago, seven years ago to build safe and affordable housing for people with developmental disabilities and autism. And so we saw construction throughout COVID pandemic. And um, finally, the doors were open this year at a new leaf. Um, the village is what we call it, is our safe and affordable housing for people. And it houses 62 people. And so it's different levels of housing, different styles of housing. We have four-bedroom homes. We have efficiency apartments. We have one-bedroom apartments. We have a, a community home. So it's really just whatever that client needs specifically is where they can choose to live. And so we have seen that open in May and people start moving in. And, and we have people that were living on their own in very unsafe areas in town now living at a place where they feel comfortable with their neighbors and they have opportunities to interact with others without feeling like they are in an unsafe area in their own apartment. So that has been a huge, huge, huge success this year. Um, uh, people are still moving in. I think we will have everyone moved in over the next month. So we'll have a full 62 people living there and enjoying life in Owasso. So if you could send any message to the community about the need for programs such as this and the benefits therein, what would you say? I would say that, you know, people with developmental disabilities want to do things just like everybody else. They have the same wants and needs that everyone does in the community. They, they want the opportunity to work and earn a wage. They want the opportunity to live on their own and make their own choices. And so providing a resource like a new link does for independent living for workforce development is a need of the community. We currently have a wait list. Um, the state of Oklahoma has a wait list as well. So we know how important that need is and that resource is to people. And we want people to be able to make their own choices. We see that 74% of people with developmental disabilities in their lifetime never move out of their parents' home. And we don't want that. We want them to be able to live and work and do the things they want to do. And um, so that's just really important. And we're doing everything we can to provide as much opportunity for people as, as we can. Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. Canadian Blood Services invites you to save a life today. Every 60 seconds someone in Canada needs blood. Donating is simple and your blood will go to help Canadians undergoing heart surgery, leukemia treatment or those involved in an accident. Go online and book your appointment today at www.blood.ca or give us a call toll-free at 1-888-2-DONATE. That's 1-888-236-6283. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Lindsay Stewart told us a little bit about New Leaf 
and Deanna Fisher told us a little bit about the St. Louis Center. In this segment of our show, Sean Wiltshire will be telling us a little bit about his recent trip regarding the International Initiative for Disability Leadership. So, can you tell me a little bit about the recent International Disability Initiative you were a part of? So yeah, so a couple of months ago, I started to engage, uh, I was asked to, to join a group called International Initiative for Disability Leadership, and it's linked to a global network that also does an international initiative for mental health. And it really was about bringing together sort of the folks that work in the industry of supporting folks and the folks that get support. So a lot of consumer-driven ideas, a lot of opportunity to hear what works for folks, um, some great things about supportive decision-making. And while international, because of COVID, we did a little bit of a regional piece. So we, the folks in North America, we met in Washington. Some folks met in Central Europe, and then we had another hub in New Zealand. And we're, we're, it's supported by the Canadian government just from the idea that shared experience, that lived experience in forming policy and decision is a better way to look at programming than, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the statement, Cam, we should always say, we want you to help us build this versus we built this with you in mind. It's that kind of idea of, you know, lived experience and informs good policy. Sort of sounds like uh, the tagline of the UN Charter, nothing about us without us. Yeah, and, it, and it, it, it not only was nothing about us without us, it was explained to me what some of the things that were good or challenging. And, and, and specifically, I think, individuals were able to give some really great insight into how to support them to amplify their voice. Uh, I often feel that folks are silenced because they may not have, you know, the best experience that other folks may have. But it's important that we see where we are falling down, where we need to adapt, where we need to change. Uh, in this time in, in history, for lack of a better term, things are changing. The demographics of Canada are very, very different than they were 15 years ago. When people kind of remember that 25% of the Canadian workforce will age out or retire in the next 12 years, that's a pretty frightening statistic when we see some of the current labor shortages. So we also saw a theme. One of the things that we see is, is labor shortages as are affecting the global economy. And with shared knowledge and, and, and partnership, you know, across countries, we may be able to find ways, better ways of doing stuff. There is nothing to say we have the market cornered on being smart, and there's nothing to say we have the market cornered on having great programming. When we continue to listen to the communities that we're serving, that's where we'll find real leadership. So, did you find there was a lot of uh, receptiveness to some of the ideas of the delegates from different countries, hearing that uh, we've made this work over here, you can apply this to your own, uh, your own situation. 
Yeah, it was a lot of shared knowledge. Like there were some things that I was really interested around supportive decision making and folks who have an intellectual or developmental challenge have a support system to help them make decisions and and to give them the confidence and ability to to weed through a problem. And this was really interesting. We we've done a lot of uh, supportive decision making or or supporting families to how to make decisions. And that's kind of something we've done, but we could get better at it. So it's that idea that it's not better or worse, it's different. And I'll, I'll credit Marcia Ryu with teaching me that. You know, on my first international trip, the first thing she said to me, Sean, you have to remember is it's not better or worse, it's different. And so that really helps people frame meeting folks where they are. So instead of sort of a prescriptive or a Western idea or... Or something that says, you know, we you need to do it a specific way. It's more about where are you currently and how can we help. And so it's not a uh, it's it's not a, a an idea of of uh, giving people, you know, you you're not going in to help. You're going in to share. And through that sharing, that's where the experience and learning comes from. And let's not remember. I mean, let's remember, Cam, that if the only statistics governments, whether that be municipal, provincial, state, or national, if the only statistics they have for folks with disabilities are around crisis, poverty, and low levels of income, all the responses to policy will be ones that are reactionary versus planned. And this is why things like the Canadian Disability Benefit are so important, because we're trying to be proactive and looking at what are the poverty issues that keep folks with disabilities below the poverty line. So it's, it's the idea that, you know, we do have some ideas we can share, we can take from others and adapt. And I think that, you know, when we look at how we are sort of trying to move forward, it's an opportunity to have conversation. And as we know, nothing changes without people talking about what needs to change. So... What was your biggest takeaway? What are the next steps uh, in your advocacy efforts? Well, I think it's to also bring a, a larger Canadian voice and flavor to the international initiative. We, we have lots of things we are challenged by, and we always will. But I do think that we have some really important things going for us. One is our understanding or our growing understanding in Indigenous reconciliation and how that may affect programming for folks in our communities. I came away with a sense of renewed hope somewhat that we are making progress. And it was really great to see folks amplifying their voice. And it's often easy for service providers to talk about what they've done. It's a little more difficult when you have somebody talking about their personal experience. So I came away with a sense of, you know, we have lots of challenges, but we're doing some things right. We're listening to folks more, and we're, we're seeking out their assistance, not so much on what we could do better, but what specifically worked for them. So a real individualized approach. And, and you know, as we know, I mean, corporate programming that often says, let's hire 5,000 people doesn't often work because everybody is so different and individualized supports or accommodations or programming will have to be looking at individual skills. So I came away with a sense of we're doing some things well and there's lots of things we could improve on. But the, over the next two years, the next meeting is in 2024, about the same time, is to bring a, a more of a 
what are we doing since last time? So it's sort of like a scorecard. So I would want to say, we talked about these things at the last leadership exchange. Where have we come? And what is our work plan to help make these things change? I'd thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. I will. Friends, I'm so glad that Sean was able to be part of such an amazing international meeting of the minds. The fact is, it's fine to look at disability issues going on right outside our door and to say, these are the policies where I am and that's all that affects me. It's not the way it is. Around the world, there are people with disabilities. If it's affecting one person, it's affecting others. It knows not borders or the differences in cultural groups. It is something that has affected every family, every bloodline. Whether it was something that was known to them at the time or not, everyone has been touched by disability in some way. I was really glad when Sean mentioned the late Dr. Marcia Ryu in his interview. She was just an amazing leader in the disability community. She was someone who brought to the table the idea that people with disabilities should not only know their own rights, but how to act on them. How to make sure that they were counted as people and as citizens. She's someone whose work continues to inspire even now. And a summit like this is something I guarantee she would have definitely brought her voice to. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.